Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. Episode 65, Purgatorio, Canto Trentunesimo, The Sixth Day, Late Morning. If you've been listening along ever since the previous Cantica, you'll will have picked up by now that I am a western otaku, so you will not be surprised that in between feverish naps I have been watching a new anime since Fruits Basket season 2 is currently ongoing and can't be binge-watched. It's called Real Life and the concept is basically around giving a need a second chance in life, although I am making it sound really boring when it's absolutely hilarious in the way it plays out. Anyway, as I laid in bed watching it, feeling bad because I knew I had to read chapter 30, but I had barely enough energy to consume TV passively, it occurred to me that the Divine Comedy has pioneered the concept of a real life. Dante, like Karata Kaizaki, had lost his way in life, and someone pleaded with the powers that be to give him a chance to find it again before it was too late. I have no idea if the fact that all the surnames come from stations have some deeper meaning about the journey of life, but I guess I am loving the trope of changing lives through experiences lately. Anyway, back to our medieval real life then. So far, Beatrice had been speaking to Dante through the angels, but now she addresses him directly and asks him to confirm if what she said is true. It's the mother of all rhetorical questions. Dante is confused and obviously distressed, which irritates the woman, who, I'm sorry, but isn't she meant to be a saint? Then, why does she sound like me before coffee? She presses Dante to answer and he is so scared he barely manages to say yes before he starts crying again. Then, she asks him what insurmountable obstacles prevented him from pursuing a virtuous life out of love for her after she died and what advantages led him to pursue earthly goods, and he bashfully replies that he was enmeshed by their pleasant appearances. For some reason, despite Dante admitting that he was led astray by earthly goods, which glittered even if not all that glitters is gold, Beatrice doubled down like the worst nagging wife ever, telling Dante that even if he doesn't confess, God knows what he's done. And then she tells him to stop crying and listen to her as she goes on a tirade about how her death should have made him yearn the, early, the heavenly treasure. Sorry, I am confused about how she expected that to be possible since his attachment to her was an earthly one in the first place. But I guess that's a topic for the theologians to chew over and write a book about so I can read it. Anyway, Dante is looking down in obvious shame and possibly repentance and she insists he looks up and suffers the punishment of looking at her. I don't know about you, but I find this passage a bit problematic, not just for the mixing up of Beatrice the woman and Beatrice the allegory, but also because looking up to the saints is not meant to make us feel pain. It's meant to show us what grace can do in us humans so that we are moved to desire it for ourselves. Sorrow for our sins follows from that desire, but the way Dante phrased it here in the poem seems to paint the goal of the encounter to be the pain. Perhaps it's just me reading too much into it. I don't know. Anyway, the angels had stopped throwing flowers around, 
and Dante observes Beatrice intent on looking upon the griffin, and he sees her as more beautiful than she ever was on earth. This to me is an obvious theological point about how our adoration of our Lord shines through as beauty that our physical attributes can never match. But it also reminds me of my very first experience of Eucharistic adoration, which was not really a thing at the parish where I grew up. I looked around the makeshift chapel, which was a gym in a school uh, I used to as a retreat, and I wanted some of what I could see in the faces that were so focused on something else that did not appear to notice that someone was downright staring. Perhaps it's this experience which is linked to my realisation that knowing about God and knowing God are different things, that is making me biased against the language of pain that Beatrice used here. I can only feel hope, and the more hope I felt, the more peace began to make its way in my heart, and then I knew I had to see the first confession in like 10 years, I think, but it wasn't painful or distressing in the way that Dante describes here. It was more like sadness and remorse that I had missed out on something beautiful and worthwhile for 25 years of my life, but it was hopeful rather than tinged with despair. These two cantings then made me feel a bit more of the latter. Anyway, the archness has at least achieved what it's meant to achieve, and Dante is so overcome with contrition that he faints, or as the charismatics would say, he was slain by the spirit. When he revives, he is almost entirely immersed in the leather with Matilda holding him. She carries him on the other bank, like she is gliding on the water carrying a feather and not a grown man, while the angel sings the Asperger's Met, which is taken from Psalm 50 or 51, depending on the version, and is still part of the rite of purification at high mass in this ordinary form. Then Dante is pushed underwater and forced to drink, and finally she takes him to the four women who, alongside the other three women, will lead him to the griffin and to look in, into Beatrice's eyes, which were like emeralds and focused on the griffin. Dante is surprised seeing himself constantly changing in his reflection while the griffin, also reflected, is unchanged. Then the three virtues invite Beatrice to look at Dante since it was uh, he's walked a long way, and she then removes her veil. The canto ends with Dante unable to put into adequate words the vision in front of him. The ritual we've just seen is full of symbolism. Beatrice becomes the revelation of God, and the eyes are emeralds because emeralds were a symbol of justice. Then a reflection shows us that we can be sanctified and that God is unchanging, even with the two natures interchanging themselves in the revelation that is personified by Beatrice. Once again, the action ends as a cliffhanger and we'll see more of the scene full of symbolism and depth of meaning in the next canto. Ciao! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.